Welcome everyone to The Deep Dive, your gateway into the maze of the American justice system. I'm Lynn Pride Richardson, Chief Public Defender for Dallas County, and your host on this fascinating and revealing, yet illuminating journey. Join us as we peel back the layers, uncovering the realities and advocating for reform. Our team, composed of dedicated lawyers, investigators, social workers, and advocates, is committed to providing unwavering support to every client, focusing on holistic, client-centered representation. From unraveling systemic flaws to ensuring that there is fairness and justice for all, we're here to expose, educate, and empower Together, we dive deep into the heart of the matter, addressing the failures and striving for change. Tune in as we shed light on the path to reform, revealing the untold stories and resources available in our justice system. We invite and encourage you to subscribe, engage, and be a part of this crucial conversation. Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of The Deep Dive. We are focusing on our mental health system with an emphasis on the criminal justice system. Our next guest, she started one of the very first mental health courts in Dallas County and actually in the state. You have to know this was monumental because no one else thought to do something like this in Dallas County. Even though the county had been struggling with the challenges of mentally ill offenders in our jails and in our system for years. Yes, we did have a drug court operating at that time, but the challenge of addressing the growing population of mentally ill individuals was becoming super expensive and simply overwhelming. Our guest is Judge Christian Wade. Judge Wade was first elected to the bench in 1999, making this her 24th year on the bench. For the past 19 years, Judge Wade has presided over the Mental Health Jail Diversion Court here in Dallas County. The purpose of this program is to divert inmates who have a history of mental illness into treatment, assist them with social services, and ultimately achieve a dismissal of their case or cases. Judge Wade's program has graduated over 900 participants over the years, and she is actively involved in the creation of the Dallas County policies and procedures related to mental illness, especially in the criminal justice system. Judge Wade has received awards from the National Alliance of Mental Illness, NAMI, for her contributions to the Mental Health Jail Diversion Court, to the community, and to the criminal justice system and the courts. All of this done because of her mental health diversion initiative. Judge Wade also received special recognition from the Mental Health Association of Greater Dallas in 2009 by receiving their PRISM Award for her work in the Dallas County Courts. She is chair of the Dallas County Mental Health Steering Committee and an inaugural member of the Behavioral Health Leadership Team. Judge Wade is a native Texan who graduated from Trinity University in 1984 and SMU Law School in 1988. After law school, Judge Wade served as an assistant district attorney in Dallas and Georgetown. She's also participated in the area of criminal defense and was chair of the criminal justice section of the State Bar of Texas from 2005 to 2006. Welcome, Judge Wade, and thank you for agreeing to be a guest on The Deep Dive. 
Well, thank you, Chief Richardson. That was certainly a lovely introduction. Um, Chief Richardson and I go way back because 19 years ago when the mental health jail diversion court started, uh, Chief Richardson volunteered her time. At that time, she was um, first assistant chief public defender. I think I have that correct. And the program was, I mean, you've got to think of the mindset 19 years ago. People just really didn't talk about mental health. There was talk about addiction issues, but mental health was just really on the back burner. And so I was approached by our then county commissioner who had gotten a very small amount of grant money and wanted to know if my court, because I kind of have a unique court that doesn't try a lot of cases, um, would be interested in thinking about you know, tackling this issue of mental health in our jail. You know, I was just immediately very enthusiastic about it, mostly because, um, funnily enough, my mother always wanted to be a psychiatrist. And so she, um, obviously, she just passed. She was 94 years old. And her parents would not allow her to pursue that occupation but she um, was a special education teacher all through her years and had a really big passion for mental health. And so when I first heard about this, I was enthusiastic from the get-go. And the program really started initially trying to get people out of jail very quickly and into services. The, the focus was to get them out of jail within 24 or 48 hours and immediately into services. And at that time, it was very unique. We were able to develop a computer program that identified those who booked into jail that had a history of uh, mental illness. But the program has always been very focused on uh, the personnel that work with those folks. We're not just trying to get people out of jail. We are trying to help them connect with the services they need to address their problems. And... Um, Chief Richardson was uh, basically would be volunteering her extra time because these kinds of cases are very time consuming to come and meet with the clients and we would have them come to court on a weekly basis and check in with us and we partnered with uh, mental health providers out in the community to help them find services to get medication and we would just try to offer them a lot of positive reinforcement, connect them up with social services, housing, anything that we could do. So each, each client was a very individual project and it was time consuming from the get go and it's still time consuming now, but things have changed a little bit. Wouldn't you agree, Chief Richardson? I agree. Uh, I, I still have to go back to how brave you were to take this on because nothing like this had been done before. And um, in some spaces, there is some pushback um, from others in the system saying, why are we doing a program like this? This isn't going to work. You know, how are you going to help these people? You know, uh, from the defense standpoint, I will tell you there were a lot of defense attorneys who said, that's not my job to get people mental health services. My job is to take care of their criminal case. So I can't even imagine making the decision to step out there and to do something like this that is so innovative and it was not being done any other place here in the state of Texas at the time. Now we have mental health courts all across the country. Uh, but what kind of 
inspired you to do this? You talked about your mother in the past, but what made you think that maybe I should try this, not knowing if it were going to be successful or not? Well, I think that part of it was I was previous to being a judge, a prosecutor, and I also did do defense work. And so I think once you have done defense work and you start working with people who are charged with crimes and talking about their life circumstances, talking about what got them into that situation in the first place, it just really became, was always evident to me that there's more than meets the eye. I think at that time in criminal justice, we were just so focused on the actual crime and what kind of punishment fits that crime. I would say even from a defense perspective and a prosecutor perspective that we did not focus on getting to the root cause, and that just really always fascinated me. I think people and their problems are interesting. I really enjoyed being a defense attorney, and one question I've always gotten over the years is like, how can you be around all these criminals all the time? Well, you realize that there are very few people that are actually criminal thinking. There are people that have made bad choices. There are people that have mental health issues, addiction issues. So I just think from the get-go, the idea of like focusing on the root cause of it was very, very appealing to me. And I, I just kind of had this gut feeling that this – this was going to be the way that we're going to move forward in criminal justice. And you are absolutely right with that. The other thing is the, the group of individuals that you were, were dealing with were generally misdemeanor uh, offenders, people who are charged with minor misdemeanor offenses. Uh, but I know now that you are working in several other court programs that deal with people who are charged with more serious offenses. Can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to do that um, in light of the fact that when you're dealing with people that are charged with minor offenses like trespassing and things like that, what encouraged you or motivated you to start branching out to working with some of the more serious offenders? Well, I think a lot of people with mental health issues get into fairly serious assaultive situations because there is a lot of issues with anger management and temper moderation and behavioral issues. So that kind of was the, the peg that got us into looking in more felony-type cases. And then on the other hand also, you know, when you're charged with a more serious offense, there's there's more at stake. And so, in a way, you need that help even more. Um, so, it was just, and also the attitudes about mental health and criminal justice have changed. And when we first started the program, you know, everyone was like, oh my gosh, you're letting this person out of jail that supposedly has a mental health issue. Aren't you afraid they're going to hurt someone or hurt themselves? And I think everyone has come to realize that with the proper supervision plans in place, the connection to resources, that we can let people out of jail who, you know, actually probably have committed some fairly serious offenses. And we can look at trying to figure out why that happened and how we can prevent those things from happening in the future. Absolutely. Now, obviously, to do a program like this, you have to partner with other groups, other agencies. Uh, earlier, we had on the podcast 
folk that um, are leading NIPA, the North Texas Behavioral Health Authority, um, that also provide funding for vendors or, or organizations that provide services. Can you tell us a little bit about who you partner with? Yes, we do get um, grant funded from the Office of the Governors, and that's how we afford our program. It is designed specifically to be for indigent people who can't afford their own private mental health insurance. And we partner with MetroCare in Dallas, which is the, the big community provider for mental health. So we get services through them for our clients for free. We also partner with the public defender's office still who staffs our court with their attorneys, with the district attorney's office who also staffs our court with their attorneys, um, the probation department which helps us do assessments and um, our more serious offenders in the felony program meet with probation on a daily basis. We also uh, partner with um, drug treatment providers. So. Fortunately, with our funding, we are able to offer people both inpatient and outpatient drug treatment um, with the grant money. So we partner with them as well to get status updates and to see how they're doing. So the program is really very reliant on all these community partnerships. And I do like want to very much emphasize to everyone that uh, you know, any successes we have in our program, I take zero credit for. Um, it is the clients themselves. If you offer them the tools and they are motivated, they are ones that doing all the work to get where they need to be. So it is certainly a program that is completely reliant on all our partners. Well, I appreciate you for being so gracious, but uh, because we know about best practices and the judge really makes more of an impact on the success of individuals in the program and the research has shown that that if you have a judge that is operating and following best practices and has a relationship and builds a relationship with these individuals that it has more of an impact on any of the other individuals and that's not to diminish what other people do but it really is a testament to your service and your demeanor and how you deal with clients. We work with a number of different specialty courts here in, in Dallas County, and I've had the opportunity to work with other courts and providers and experts all across the country, and you do an amazing job, and that, that is why I think it works. Now, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the program, the original program, and how it operates? How do you accept people into the program? Because I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have in the criminal justice system. We have great programs like this, but people don't really know how to get involved. People that get in the system, their family members, how can I get my loved one help? Is there a program that will provide these services? Tell us a little bit about how the program worked and if you could give us a little history from its inception. Did it always work that way or did you change periodically how the program operates? Well, as I said previously, Chief Richardson, um, originally the focus was very much about getting people out of jail in a very quick manner. As we've gone through the years, our focus is more in identifying the right people that would fit into the program. And so we do take referrals. We do take people straight from jail, but we also um, take many of our clients that are out on bond that have been identified by their attorneys as having mental health issues. On the misdemeanor program, it's typically about six months long. 
and on the felony track, it's 12 to 18 months long. Both of these programs are voluntary, and so no one is forced to do this if they do not want to do it. But the key component of these programs is if you agree to do it and you successfully graduate, you get your case dismissed and expunged. So that is a very huge thing for people that are suffering from mental illness that want to get a clean record. Uh, initially at one time we were looking at more first-time offenders way back when the program started but now we have evolved to taking a lot of clients that do have a criminal history and still need this help so the program is designed you know it's not easy because you have to report to court very often you have to take your medication you have to meet with your uh, case manager you have to make doctor's appointments um, but it is designed to allow the participant to have all those tools they need to succeed. And then once they graduate, the case is dismissed and expunged, which is even a bigger thing because if your case is expunged, it means that if someone's looking up your criminal history, they can't find that you were ever even charged. So that is, so to speak, the carrot or, or the reason why a lot of people choose to do the program. But once they get in the program, I think those that are serious about it just realize they have this whole team of people just caring for them and looking out for them and trying to be sure they're doing the right thing. And it is, uh, although we fo uh, follow best practices, which is kind of like being a parent and punishing people when they do poorly and rewarding them when they do greatly, we really try to, as much as possible, focus on positive reinforcement because a lot of these folks have just not had a lot of successes in life and they are not used to getting patted on the back. So we, you know, we try to do that a lot verbally. We do um, raise money through different um, avenues to provide incentives like gift cards and goodies and treats in court, all sorts of things to make it be as positive an experience as we can. And it is, it's just fascinating to watch the faces of the, uh, the participants and their family members. They bring their kids. I can remember where people have donated bicycles and things of that nature. It really is amazing. But it is a credit to you to reach out to these other entities. It's not just about getting them through the system, although that's the focus, but also recognizing that they have so many needs. You talked earlier about uh, having to hold people accountable. There are incentives and sanctions for your participation in the program. If you're not uh, doing something or following a policy or a procedure or doing something that you're not supposed to, then there can be sanctions. There are also in incentives for people who do well. Can you tell us a little bit more about what those incentives and sanctions can be? Um, the incentives can be anything from attending court less often, being able to attend court remotely. Um, an incentive can be a gift card. It can be, a, you know, verbal praise. It could be acknowledgement that you're client of the week. Those are all incentives that we use in the program. And sanctions, on the other hand, could be having to attend court more often, having to um, go to, well, it's not really a sanction, but upgrading uh, the level of treatment that you're in. If you're getting substance abuse treatment, instead of going three times a day or instead of doing outpatient, maybe we need to move to inpatient. So that's 
that's something we do as well. Um, another sanction could be writing a paper about your behavior and, and why you chose to do this. And then probably our last resort sanction is um, doing a quick uh, trip back to the jail for a couple of days. We try to save that for the very last resort, but it is, you know, a tool that's in our toolbox that we occasionally have to use, unfortunately. Um, but those are, that's kind of an idea of some of the incentives and sanctions. I have phases in the court program. Tell us a little bit about the phases. We uh, basically have three phases. The first one is more of a stabilization phase where we're hoping that we can get someone um, settled into some sort of housing, go into their doctor's appointments, getting their medicine. And then the second phase, we're looking at more goal-oriented. Goal and it's very individualized because... Um, in the world of mental illness, I mean, there are people that are very more severely mental ill, mentally ill, like, you know, severe schizophrenia, or there's people with more major depressive disorder. So there's also, you know, there's a big spectrum on the mental illness. So we try to focus the program on individual goals. So the second part of the program, we might be um, looking at obtaining disability for clients, obtaining uh, vital records, which most of our clients, when they come out of jail, they don't have driver's license or social security cards or anything like that. So we'll focus on that. For some clients, it's obtaining employment. For some clients, it's enrolling in school or working on your GED. So all those things come pretty much in the second phase of the program. And then the third phase of the program is what we call graduation. And so you know, some clients are able to hit the ground running and work through the program really fast. And others, you know, we've had to um, keep with us for almost two years. And so that's kind of the goals that we're looking at in our program. What is also really impactful and what I found to be just really emotionally fulfilling is that there are people sometimes when they get to phase three, they don't want to get out of the program because it's a, the first time in their lives where someone has taken an interest in them, people are really trying to support them, people see them, communicate with them. And sometimes we have people that are ready to graduate and they do something to mess up because they like that attention. You know, it's pretty amazing that people would want to stay in a program like that, but that's a testament to how you operate your court and the partners that you have in the court and how they react to people and treat people and make them feel. It's kind of interesting because we just had a, a client recently this week, and actually one of the sanctions we use is um, if we're having issues where clients are not staying at their boarding home or are you know engaging in risky behavior or, or drug seeking, occasionally we'll put an electronic monitor on their ankle. And so then we can see for a couple of weeks kind of what they're doing, where they're going, and we had one client, and she's been doing very, very well. And we told her, I said, well, you're doing so well. We're going to take that electronic monitor off your ankle. And she said, oh, no, Judge, please, please let me keep it on for another couple of weeks. It's really making me focus. So it's just kind of interesting because I do think that um, the clients that really are trying, they, they, they really appreciate that we care about them. And we do. We spend a lot of time before every actual court session. The entire team sits down at the table, and I'm talking about the 
public defender, uh, the prosecutor, all those people that I mentioned earlier, we'll have 12 people sitting around a table and we individually talk about each client and where they are and what their goals are and how they're doing. So when we go out to the courtroom, it's, I don't want to say it's a performance, but we have practice. And when we go out there, we know and they know we know what they're doing. And we remember if it's their birthday and if they've had a problem in their family or an illness, we, we go out to court prepared so we can show them that we truly do care about how they're doing. And I think they just don't, a lot of people just don't get that. You've got a lot of folk that are listening to this. If there are, and we always encourage our listeners if there is any way you can get involved because we recognize there are always challenges to any of these programs that we talk about, challenges when it relates to people that go through the criminal justice system, but we encourage people to get involved, to volunteer. If somebody wants to, a nonprofit wants to, to support this court program, how do they go about doing that? Well, that is a good question, Chief Richardson. They can always contact me. My email is kwade at dallascounty.org. They could get in touch with the um, public defender's office. Um, any, I mean, we'd love to have any help we can get. And, you know, I would also just like to let all the listeners out there know that, you know, that the big crisis that we're having, everyone hears about the opioid crisis, which is real and is a crisis. But, um, you know, the combination of mental health and illicit drugs, I mean, that is is just a huge and ever-occurring problem and gets worse and worse every year. And I'm talking from marijuana all the way up to opioids, the mixture of mental illness with another whole set of drugs is just not a good thing. So if you have a loved one out there that has some issues with mental health, please, please encourage them to stay away from any sort of illegal substances, marijuana included. And that, that is a really big issue for us because I think the message that's out there to a lot of young people and just people in general is that marijuana is okay and it's legal in lots of states, but it's not legal here in Texas. And all the evidence shows us that mixing marijuana when you have mental health issues can really be a prescription for disaster and can exasperate the problem greatly. I'd like to thank Judge Kristen Wade not only for taking the time to talk to us and you as listeners here on The Deep Dive, but for her dedication and her true commitment to helping those who have some significant needs and challenges because they're mentally ill. This impacts families, educational institutions, communities, and especially our justice system. For many years, the justice system treated mental illness as if it was a moral failing that you could punish people or incarcerate them into acting what many would say, acting normal or having normal behavior. It is an illness like diabetes or a heart condition or any other illness. For many years, our solution was to lock people up in institutions that we called mental hospitals to over-medicate people or to operate on their brains by giving them lobotomies or to just keep them strapped in their beds or chairs while they sat drooling, non-responsive in their corners. When they closed those horrible institutions because they were inhumane, they failed to really provide the necessary funding to keep individuals who 
who have a mental health diagnosis in their communities with the necessary treatment and psychiatric services that they need. However, thanks to leaders like Judge Wade, we now have options which provide alternatives to incarceration for those who meet the eligibility requirements and criteria, who are not a danger to the public or the community, which gets them connected with the services, treatment, and support they need to get reconnected with families, get them temporary or long-term supportive housing if needed, and which helps them manage their illness and their lives. If you want to know more about programs like the ones Judge Wade presides over, call us here at the Dallas County Public Defender's Office at 214-653-3550. Hello. Find us on Instagram at Dallas Public Defenders or visit our website, dallascounty.org slash government slash public dash defender. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. The Deep Dive is a production of the Dallas County Public Defender's Office, and it is produced by Alexis McCowan, Vicki Rice, Michaela Himes, Paul Blocker, and Lynn Pride Richardson.